So what's going on? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance, and uh, so grateful for everybody who's here, especially everybody who's here for the first time. Uh, I know sometimes how awkward and intimidating it could be to come into a church of all places for the first time, so major shout out for trusting us uh, to be here. Uh, one of the dope things about living in Manhattan is all the types of people that you'll meet. When I first moved to the city about six, seven years ago, I remember going to a dinner party, and man, there was every type of profession there at that dinner party. Uh, there was teachers, there was athletes, there was dudes from the block, uh, there was uh, <laughs> a bunch of finance people as well. Now, I've been to a lot of dinner parties, some I liked, some I didn't like, but there was a conversation that happened that night that I will always remember. It was towards the end of the night, and there was a dude in the corner with the rest of the finance bros, and homie was like six glasses of wine into his evening, and I just heard him talking so loud that I didn't even have to be nosy to make out every word he was saying. The thing I caught next, I was like, I can't believe this guy. He was saying to, to someone else, do you have anything to tell me? I made $800,000 last year. What can you tell me about anything? As soon as he said that, I started daydreaming like, yo, 800 Gs. <laughs> if I had $800,000, I would pay off my student loans, and that's it. That's all I would have made for. <laughs> but then I came back to reality, and it hit me. Like, how, how arrogant do you have to be? to be at a dinner party with a room full of strangers and tell everybody how much money you make? How boastful are you? Even worse, how blind are you that you don't know that that is massively socially unacceptable to be going around bragging about how much money you make? Uh, his wife started to realize how quickly everything was unraveling. She tried to hurry up and throw some cheese in his mouth and rush him uh, out the door, but the damage was already done. Now, one of the things about blind spots is you don't know that you have them. You can be doing something and saying something and operating in a way, and you're the last person to know. Now, a couple months ago, I started growing out my beard, and please hold your applause. The, one of the great, one of the, there's a lot of pluses to having a beard. I can list those out. We don't have enough time to talk about that. The minus is, though, I am fully at the stage where I could have a tablespoon of cream cheese in my beard, and I would have no idea. <laughs> so every time I meet, uh, I'm eating with someone, I'm always having like my selfie cam out, and people are like, look at this guy just staring at himself. I'm like, no, I just have to make sure that we don't have, I don't have a turkey in my, in my beard. I'm always the last person to know if I'm looking foolish. I'm always the last person to know what is in my blind spot. Now, blind spots are not just physical, they're also spiritual. There are ways in our life that you and I could be operating that we are just blind. We're just moving in a direction, thinking everything is okay, when in reality, we might be operating in a blind spot. We might be doing something that's stupid or silly, or worse, we might be missing the mark altogether. Now, it's really easy for me to start off today's message and make fun of a 30-year-old finance bro who doesn't see his blind spot and doesn't understand uh, how wrong and arrogant it is to brag about making that much money in a calendar year. Nobody's going to run to his defense uh, after service and, and um, try to defend him. What is hard for us to see is the blind spots in our own lives. Now, fortunately, there is a scripture that's going to guide the rest of the conversation today. 
and it is like a mirror. It is like the selfie camera from your phone that will show us pieces of our life that we probably wouldn't ordinarily see. And this scripture is going to tell you that you're doing something, that I'm doing something that's just as arrogant as that guy was at the dinner party. Now, scripture correctly read isn't something that you just read. It's something that reads you. Uh, in Hebrews 4 and 12, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And later in the verse, it says, Scripture is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But one of the reasons we push engagement with Scripture here, no matter where you are in your spiritual life, is that it shows us what are the true intentions and the thoughts that our heart is really making and uh, this scripture today is written by a guy named James, and uh, fair warning, it packs a punch, and it talks about something that is as arrogant and as boastful as a guy at the dinner party. It is how you and I use and how you and I view our time. That if there were a dinner party in heaven, the angels would be looking at you and me like, yo, do you see the way he and, or she is using their time? It's just as arrogant. Here's what James says in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What James is showing us today is something that's arrogant in Scripture, something I do all the time, something you do all the time. We do it so much we're oblivious to it, and it's a blind spot for us when we're presumptive and predicting how our future will go. When we make plans and when we leave God out of the formula for how we should use our time. James says it's just as simple as making plans and saying, today or tomorrow, I'm going to do this and do that. But as we've been in this series called First of God Over Everything, one thing we've been trying to hopefully hone in on is to show us that all of our lives, including time, need to put God first. Now, before we get too deeply into the conversation, uh, whenever we talk about time in a sermon or time from the, the perspective of Scripture, I want to be really sure you guys are hearing what I'm saying uh, so we can all be on the same page. Uh, we have the tendency to think about time in the, in the sense of seconds, where in Scripture, it usually speaks about time and seasons. We think about it in seconds. Scripture is talking to us about seasons. I don't want you going to Chipotle tomorrow for lunch and getting to the cash register, and she'll say, you know, medium or spicy, and you're like, wait, I got to include the Lord in this decision. Hold on. <laughs> M- medium. He said medium. <laughs> We're not trying to turn you into weirdos. I don't want you to hear something so radical and so uh, out there that you'll either dismiss it because it's not applicable, or you'll actually do it, and then it will, it will uh, really undo your spiritual life because you'll be doing something that Scripture never intended for you to do. When we're talking about how we're using our time, I'm saying in this season of your life, in these next couple of months and year that you have planned for your life, the things that you have already planned for yourself, has God been included in that formula? Now, there's a scripture in John 13 where we see this, uh, this dichotomy between seasons versus seconds that really helps us define the word time from a biblical perspective. And it's a short scripture where Jesus is talking to Peter, and it says, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, 
Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow three times until you have denied me three times. Jesus and Peter both use the word now, but their nows could not be any more different. If you were to read this in the original text, actually, you'll start to see that there are two different words used for the word now. So our word in English now is very limited, and now actually can mean a lot of things. If you go into a dinner party with your significant other, and they start talking about that one topic that you know is going to start an argument, what do you say? Yo, yo, not now, not now. What does that mean? Do you mean that 30 seconds later you want to start the argument? No. You're like, I don't want to talk about this now. I don't want to talk about this tonight, tomorrow. I don't want to talk about this till, till May. <laughs> or now could mean right this second. When I'm trying to get my three-year-old's attention, I say, yo, come, come here now. No, here, now. He never listens. That's a whole different sermon. <laughs> that I mean, I want to mean at least, immediately. Get over here now or there will be consequences. So the English word now can mean a lot of things. It could mean a delay, it could mean a season, or it could mean right this second. In Greek, they had different terms to define uh, what now meant. Uh, the word that Jesus was using was the word noon, um, and it was a Greek word that meant a season. It meant a period of time um, that we are experiencing. So we're talking about planning the time for your life. We're talking about in this period of your life, in this season of your life, what are you doing? How are you including God into that context. When Jesus says the word uh, now, he's meaning uh, a season. Now, other scripture writers use the same concept. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The word is the same one word there for, for now, which is noon, and it does not mean this second. It's not talking about a second-by-second second analysis of your life. It's talking about in this season of your life, these are truths that are happening. Peter responds to Jesus with a different Greek word, which is RT, which means this very second. Why can't I follow you right this very second? Now, Peter is prone to do something that you and I do all the time, to live by seconds when God is talking about seasons. So as we are talking about this concept of time, we're talking about what are you doing this season with your life? The goals that you have spiritually, emotionally, relationally, what are the choices that you have made for your life this season? Now, another point of clarification uh, that I really want to make before we get into the meat of the scripture today is uh, I'm also not coming against making plans. Scripture is replete all through scripture. Plans are good. Anybody with a passion planner, I'm not going to tell you to burn it at the service today. Um, plans are good, um, so long as these plans include God. Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Over and over again, scripture uh, commends making plans. It's actually quite foolish to just go through life without making any plans. But what James is getting at today is not against planning, it's being presumptive. It's using time as it's something that is ours, as if it doesn't belong to God, as if time and space and all things that were created by this world are ours, and we could use them however we want to. And this is what James is warning against in the scripture. Now, one of the things that's so interesting, though, if I were to really think about it, even understanding the concept that God wants to be a part of my time uh, decision process, uh, there's a couple of situations where I just don't include God in those circumstances. This is true of me, and this might be true of you, 
uh, two scenarios usually when I don't include God in my planning. Uh, the first is when I want something and God hasn't gotten it for me fast enough. I can, if you want to talk to me after service, I can tell you about the list of decisions that I've made, and I'm not talking about 20 years ago, some up until 20 days ago, where I've made terrible decisions or I've just simply moved in a direction because this is what I wanted and God isn't moving quick enough to do it. When I was in college, I got into a whole relationship just because God, I'm tired of playing Madden with the fellas every night, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I was trying to uh, be in a relationship. Now, even speaking more seriously, uh, so much of my life, I can think about different decisions I've made where I wanted something and God wasn't giving it for me fast enough. So I moved in the direction of what I wanted to get and it never works out the way that I wanted it to work out. Some of you have done that and some of you are doing that right now where you are making decisions for your life and you've forgotten God completely because you want something, God hasn't given it to you quick enough, so you move in that direction anyway. Here's what we're believing. We're believing two things, both of which are really dangerous and harmful to ourselves. One is that your wisdom is bigger than God's. That you know better how your life should be constructed than what God does. And two, it almost feels like God has a vested interest in everybody but you. That God, you love them, but you can't possibly love me because you're not giving me what I want. Both of these lies will lead you in a really bad direction. Uh, the second time I don't include God in my planning for how I'm, how I'm going to use my time is when I want something, and to be perfectly honest, I don't know if God wants that for me too. I don't know if that's what God wants for me at all, so I'll make decisions and move in a direction, uh, not including God in my uh, planning process for how I'm going to use my time. And, you know, I know, what I'm, I know what I want, so I know what I'm going to do, period. Um, one of the things that our, our culture believes, we believe that ignorance is bliss when in reality it's captivity. Uh, we also have a really big challenge with authority, the concept of authority. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We don't want anybody telling us what to do with our life, our time, our money, our anything. And that leads us always in a bad direction. There's a really famous scripture uh, from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Uh, this scripture, among many others, is saying that when we acknowledge God and allow God to speak into and to shape our plans, then our paths will be straight. But a lot of us, we plan for crooked paths and, and hope, God, go ahead, be a fixer. You're a healer, Lord. I need you to fix what I've already started. We can't have God's peace if we don't live under God's plan. We can't walk in God's uh, power unless we walk by God's standards. What this scripture is pushing us to do in James is this, is to align our beliefs and um, our, our actual way of life. James is a really, really practical book. All throughout the book, he's saying, yes, you believe in God? Fantastic. How is this belief in God actually aligning your day-to-day -day life? All throughout the scripture and in, in the book of James, if you ever want to read a really practical book, pick up James. He is all about trying to make sure our beliefs actually line up with the way that we're living. Now, what James is drilling down against here is to really live a life where we forget God. Now, it's really scary because this is not a prohibition against doing one thing or one thing. It's actually to go about life where we forget God. So much so that in verse 16 of chapter 4, James calls it evil. And I was like, all right, James, this is, now you're dialing it up a little bit. I, I get that, you know, I made my own plans, and that's not the wisest thing to do. But why is this evil? And I was thinking about it. Man, how do you like to be forgotten? All of us, 
at some point in our lives, if we've, if we've lived long enough, have been in friendships or relationships where someone just straight up forgot about us. And this is what the prohibition and the warning is against in this chapter, that you would go through your life, go through this next season, and you forget about God. There's a, a really stern scripture in Jeremiah where um, God is talking to his people and saying how his people have treated him like they can take him or leave him. And it comes from Jeremiah 2, and it says, Can a young woman forget her jewelry or a bride her wedding sash? Yet my people have forgotten me for countless days. What the author Jeremiah was talking about is uh, something that I've witnessed firsthand. I've done a lot of weddings. I've been to even more. And I've never seen a bride walk down the aisle with sweatpants on and forget to put her makeup on. I've never seen a groom come without a shape up. Everybody's always fresh to death that day, looking as clean as they can look, because it is the most important thing for them to do that day is to get dressed. And here's what God is saying in the scripture. I've never seen a bride who has this most important thing in her life forget her wedding sash. Yet so many of my people claim that I'm the most important thing in their life and they've forgotten about me. And one of the clearest ways that we see this in our own lives is how we use our time. Not just in every second, but in every season, are we truly putting God first in our lives. Uh, there's this concept that's a really powerful one of auditing a class versus enrolling in a class. And I don't know if you've ever audited a class, but essentially auditing a class is wanting the information but no accountability. You can show up to the class when you want. You can read the assignments, whatever you want to read, just to get all of the information, but there's no actual accountability or responsibility in being in that class. There's a much bigger difference in enrolling in a class when you got a test coming up. You got papers that are due. You have a grade that's going to be uh, given to you in your class. So you have not just the information, you have the information and the accountability. Here's what I want you to have, guys. I don't want you to audit the class of faith. I don't want you to audit Jesus. Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, whenever someone would come and follow him, he always pushed us to enroll in the class of faith, to trust him with our lives not being in the driver's seat and everything. And one of the biggest ways we audit the class of faith is by kicking God out of how we're using our time. So James warns us against the foolishness of being self-directed in our time. And he gives us two big reasons why you using your time however you please is such a foolish decision. Now, one thing that's cool about this scripture is you don't even have to know what you believe about the Bible or you can be brand new to scripture. And this hopefully will resonate with you as being something that's really true and can immediately apply to your life. In verses 13 and 14, he says, come now. And parenthetically, a lot of uh, scholars believe that James was in fact Jamaican the way he starts off this passage. <laughs> so he says, come now. No, not one scholar has ever said that, but I bet you if you Google it, somebody would have said that. Um, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. He's saying it is so silly, so ridiculous for you and I to be in the driver's seat because guess what? You're ignorant about tomorrow in your life. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. There's moments in my life, and I bet there's been moments in your life where you thought tomorrow would look different than what it actually looked like, both good and bad. I often think about the day that I met my wife. Uh, the day before, I had no idea that her name would come up in a conversation, and that next day changed my life forever. 
Some days I've had surprises in the best of ways that have shaped my life and been things that I never in a million years could have foreseen. And other times, I had no idea what was going to happen the next day was a more difficult scenario, both times equally reminding me that I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Uh, nine months ago, uh, we gave birth, or my wife gave birth, and I watched uh, to our youngest son. That's life in America. Women do the work. Men take the credit for uh, half of it. Uh, she gave birth. I watched. And um, we took off some time from the church. And we decided uh, we'd take off a month from church, from all working responsibilities. And true story, every Sunday we would wake up, the place I really wanted to be was Renaissance, because I really do love you guys. This is the greatest church in the world. And one Sunday we were deciding, should we go to church? Should we not go to church? Um, and we said, you know, we're going to do what everybody else does. We're going to get there late and sneak in the back. And uh, <laughs> shots, shots fired. But uh, it was about 11 o'clock. And um, all of a sudden, my phone starts ringing off the hook. And it's like four missed calls, like people left voicemails, which I, that's when I knew something was wrong. I'm like, you leaving a voicemail? Something must really be off. And I, I called the first time I back. And... Uh, really to my shock and, and, and horror, um, they said, hey, your, your dad just collapsed. And the ambulance has been called, and they're on the way. And in complete shock and disbelief, I threw on my sneakers and, and ran to church as fast as I could, uh, all the while in my brain trying to just hope and pray, Lord, please you know, let, this not, let this not be what I'm, I'm praying. I hope it's not. And I, I get to church. I see the ambulance outside and the paramedics here and... Um, I see my dad in a really bad position. Now, the, the day before that, uh, we had just thrown a birthday party for my three-year-old, and it was great dinosaurs all over the place. Uh, if you'd have asked me that day, how's things? I would have said, things are great. Things are fantastic. Nothing about that day made me think that tomorrow would be truly one of the most worrying days of my life. Now, thankfully, my dad did come to church that day because there, he wasn't at home by himself, and there were so many nurses and doctors here at Renaissance that immediately jumped to his aid, and thank God, yes. Uh, thank God he's doing well. Um, he was, got a, a bad interaction with some medicines, and it wasn't anything serious, and it uh, motivated him to you know, get on that diet that he's supposed to be doing. Make sure you watch him. Uh, he's allowed to eat a donut on Sunday, but that's it, just one for Sunday. Uh, but we can all look back on our lives, both good days and bad days, where we had no idea what the next day would hold. In good ways and in bad ways, you and I, we'd be crazy to think that we actually can make the best plans for our lives because we just don't know what's going to happen. And James is saying, listen, you guys who are saying today or tomorrow when you're doing that, that's boastful and arrogant because you have no clue what tomorrow is going to bring. We often overestimate how truly important and wise we are. And sometimes there are reminders, sometimes pleasant and sometimes painful, that remind us that we are unfit to be the captains of, the captains of our own lives. We have no idea what's going to happen. So James warns us against that and says, you have no idea what tomorrow will bring. So we're cautioned against being presumptive because we're ignorant in every sense of the word. Now, James goes forward and gives another reason why it's so crazy for us to not include God in our plans, and it's because, man, our life is just so limited. James uses this illustration. He says, for you are like a vapor that appears for a while, then vanishes. This is you, Febreze. There you go. 
your life appears for a while, goes away, and it smells like Tide. Now, comparing your life, let's, yeah, I hope everybody in here lives to 100. Let's say you live to 100. Your life compared to eternity is nothing. Scripture writers over and over again contrast our existence to the existence of God who is from everlasting to everlasting. In Psalm 90 and 4, it gives us a timeline and a picture of time from God's perspective. And it says, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. Uh, what the writer here was talking about in Psalm 90 is this concept of having a night watch. And if you were the security detail on a night watch, it was three or four meaningless hours in the night. And this is what the writers are saying. God is like, God is like a thousand years to God is like three or four meaningless hours where nothing really happened. You and I are extremely limited in our time. So here's why James is pushing us to this point. You should do what you can while you can. Don't waste your lives. Man, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life talking about tomorrow you're going to do this. Next week, you're gonna, next month, you're going to Don't waste your life doing that. I, in my life, have spent so much this last couple of weeks thinking through, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Not what other people want me to do, not what I want to do. Because the worst thing that will happen in your life is not that you will fail at something, but rather you would succeed at stuff that doesn't even matter that you would put something at the centerpiece of your life and you would succeed and you would move forward and God hasn't been at the centerpiece of those decisions. You and, I, you and I need to do what we can while we can because our life is just a vapor. It is a mist. And in this mist, we, we need to realize that our time is just also, it's a gift from God. God has given us this time, however long it is in our lives. Don't waste it. So our time is short, and we can't control what's going on. So James gives us a recommendation of how we should use our time going forward. He says, um, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I'm not trying to say that James is suggesting that you say Lord willing in front of everything that you're going to do. Although I do know some very sincere Christians who are very cautious to always say, Lord willing, I'll do this or that. And I'm not arguing for language here. I'm arguing for how your heart is functionally operating. I don't want you to get ready for brunch today and say, Lord willing, I'm going to have a French toast. Lord willing. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say for certain. But that there was a humble posture in our lives and thinking through all things that we have planned and saying, listen, I just don't know how, what's going to happen. And Lord willing, this will be what happens. Now, in all your goals for this season of your life, for this period of your life, I want you to reevaluate what you have committed your time to. Go through your calendar. What is it that you are functionally committing your time to? Now, if you're a part of Renaissance, I want you to commit to two things here, uh, among other things, but these two things I want to drill on today. One is the mission, and the other is, this, is the community here at Renaissance. If you're visiting, uh, please uh, apply this to another church, or if you're new, please don't uh, take this to heart. You don't have to do anything with this yet. But if Renaissance is home for you, man, I want you to commit, commit your time to the mission that God has for us here. I don't know if you've ever heard of the 80-20 the rule, where 20% of people do 80% of the work, uh, and that's true for us as well. And what would make me happier than anything else is if we defied that rule and get up to 25% at least, and that we would be people, we had contribution from everyone, so that we didn't just have a bunch of consumers, but we also had contribut contributors. 
The essence of discipleship is not consumption, consumption, what can I get, what can I get out of this, but rather what can I also contribute. Now, I want you to get stuff from here for sure, but I also want you to contribute, not just when it feels good, but I want you to contribute and make that a time commitment for you. We've been working hard on the back end to change around and reinforce our crew uh, here at Renaissance so that everyone who signs up for crews, both past, present, and future, will only be committing to a 12-month period. And over these 12 months, we're asking you to do once a month. So over the, the next 365 days, we're asking you to commit 12 days to serving Renaissance. And this could be in any capacity, whether it's the prayer team, the uh, production, the transformation to transform this space from a school to a worship space where people can encounter Jesus, or a restoration team to restore this worship space back to a learning environment for our kids. Whatever the area is that uh, would, um, would prompt your heart to want to get involved, man, I, I don't want you to sit on the sidelines any longer. And uh, after service, you can sign up at the info desk. And listen, 12 times after 10 months, you'll get an email asking if you want to continue. You can jump off after 10 months, 12 months. Um, this is a, a really great way that we've um, wanted to also shrink down the commitment so you're not just committing indefinitely forever. But commit to the mission at Renaissance that good things will continue to happen, that people will continue to meet Jesus and, grow and meet each other. The second is about meeting each other. It's community. One of the things that we operate here at Renaissance is community groups. And community groups are a way for you to know and be known by other people trying to follow Jesus alongside with you. And you'll spend time reading scripture with people, eating a meal, praying with people, praying for people, being prayed for. And we're having a new sign-up batch open up uh, tomorrow. Now, if you have already been in a community group this fall, you do not have to re-sign up the, the way I'm going to tell. All you need to do is respond to the email from your CG leader or host. So this week, hopefully, you'll get an email from your CG leader or host if you have already been in a group this past fall. Uh, if you have not been in a group yet, or you haven't been in a group in this past fall, man, I want you to commit to eight weeks of sitting down and being known and, man, di diving deeper in scripture with other people, to deepen your faith with other people. I think it's a really good use of time. Now, one of the concepts about time that is so amazing to me, and one that uh, really reinforces why we should give our time to God is uh, based on the gospel, which, which says not only did God love us so much that he gave us his son, but it also says that you and I were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, it says, don't you know that you were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God with your body, with yourselves. Here's what the scripture writer is getting at. Jesus does not make bad financial investments. God wants to use you for a purpose. This is why uh, God sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And one of the things that most reassures me about how I even use my time is, A, that I, I was bought with a price and that God has a purpose for me. His purpose is not for me just to sit down and to, uh, and, and to be a spectator, but that God has something for me. God has a mission for me. God has an assignment for me. God has good things for me to do. But secondly, it also speaks to God's intentions. I think deep down inside, my biggest fear is that God will want something for me that is harmful to me. And the cross turns that equation around. It says that God was willing to harm himself to give us good things, which is a relationship with him. So as we go through our week this week, reevaluating our time, man, I just want you guys to, to keep the gospel at the forefront of your heart. The God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? God has great things in store for me and for you. And all we need to do is trust him. Let me pray for us.
Lord, we thank you for um, scriptures like this, which are challenging and hopefully a mirror to uh, our lives. And I, I pray that we would take it to heart. I pray that we would see you um, not as one to be forgotten, but one to be remembered. And I pray that we would remember you in our actions and our thoughts this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.